Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Nineteen ninety-three was both the kickoff to a new album cycle and the end of an era for Billy Joel. River of Dreams came out in August and was certified three times platinum by the end of the year. It was preceded by what was now a well-oiled publicity machine and followed immediately by a world tour. But the album was his last release of new pop songs. As such, it would be the last time Billy would run this playbook. Fortunately, Michael and I remember it well. This was the one album where we were both old enough to hear about it before its release, buy it the day it came out, follow the media hype and television appearances, and even see him on tour promoting the album. For us then, exploring this year in Billy history is also an opportunity for us to remember our own experiences with the album and how different the media landscape was 30 years ago. So join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's 1993. So here we are doing another year in the life of Billy Joel. These are a lot of fun. It's a treat going through a calendar year and mapping out the narrative and what went on. I think the last one we did was 2015. And on the surface, it didn't seem like there was going to be much, but there was really a lot happening then. And here we're ushering in a new era and a brand new album in River of Dreams. So certainly a lot happening. River of Dreams is my album, like Stormfront is Michael's. Michael got Stormfront the day it came out, just like I got River of Dreams was the one I got to get the day it came out. You know, it was the summer. My cousin was staying with me for a week. The day rolled around. We each had a crisp $20 bill and my mom was all but ordered to drive us to Oxford Valley Mall (laughs) so we could go to the Wall Music Center or whatever they called it and get our copies of it. I have so many memories, specifically late 80s to late 90s, of when and where everything surrounding buying like landmark records in my life. They were big moments. And it was the act of physically going somewhere, putting your money on the counter and getting it and unwrapping. It was just, it was very ceremonial. You know, now it's like, shoot, I don't remember when I ordered, you know, this Def Leppard album from Amazon. I don't know. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was two in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I pre-ordered it four weeks before it came out. And forgot about it by the time I got it. Yeah, I just ordered a record uh, yesterday. I'm going to totally forget when it shows up and be so happy. (laughs) And you were saying before we recorded too, just the promotion, how how different that was to what we have now. You know, this is before the days of everybody having internet. I know we didn't have dial-up until probably 97, maybe, if if we were lucky. You know, and there was no social media, so anything internet-based just didn't exist. So unless you knew a friend who knew a friend who knew somebody who knew something. The only other ways you're finding out about things were newspaper articles, television shows, you know, on the radio or, you know, MTV or something like that. I must've found out about this via radio and not personally. I think like my dad probably came home because he would listen to the radio on the way to work. Like everybody did. Sure. Came home and said, Hey Jack, you know, there's new Billy Joel album coming out. And then we pieced together everything from there. I think radio was the big 
driving force in promoting, like announcing and hyping up new albums for music fans. This whole thing nowadays, um, you know, Beyonce surprise drops a new album today and nobody knew about it. You couldn't. Not even if Beyonce was around in 93, yeah. she couldn't pull that off. Right. Yeah, it just didn't happen because there was no way to, to proliferate it. Right. Completely different ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. For better or worse. I mean, they're much different, but I, I don't know. The excitement in a lot of ways isn't there like it used to be. I think maybe some of it is with the age of social media. It's like, you know, back in the day, it's like you had album cycles and tours and then, and then mm. it was like the artist just disappeared until the next one came out. There was a... Uh, a bit of mysteriousness going on. You didn't know everything the artist was doing all the time. If they were drunk, they weren't getting drunk and posting selfies. Tweeting. <laughs> stuff yeah, <like> exactly. <laughs> you know, you just didn't hear about somebody for a year or two unless you were a huge fan and then they popped back up. In large part, why it was, you know, put out an album every year or every two years. Well, you know, you would fade away. People would forget about you. Although I do have to say, we are older. We don't care about new stuff coming out like that in the same way we did when we were young. So it's a little late in the evening, but um, I'll have to ask a young person later what it's like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, yeah. young people putting out albums, we don't care. It's a different beast. Probably the one band I still get really excited about when they put out a record is Metallica, then they happen to still be doing it. They surprised everyone last November. I know you've talked about like the Beyonce like surprising everyone with a record, right? They did the same thing. In November, it was like you know Metallica, normal stuff as usual. You woke up one morning. I could probably go back in my email and find the date. They announced the album. They announced the tour. Pre-orders for everything in one fell swoosh on like a Tuesday morning. And no one knew. And a band of that size, and I'm sure have so many people connected to them, the fact that they could keep it a lid on it was like incredible. I'm sure you remember this better than me, but it was like at least a three-month cycle. If you were a small band, it was a three-month cycle. Like you, you announced it. Three months before, that's when your promotion started because you needed to line up everything to hit the day it came out. Oh, your reviews had to be written and in, your ads had to be done, any articles, any interviews yep. were already done and in the can and just waiting to come out. And that's kind of how it would work. I, I know it to a lot of people, it sounds backwards, especially an artist on a label. It's like, this band is going to start the next album project. They would set a release date way early because you had to do so many things like that before the album came out for everything to line up just so. Okay, the album's coming out August the 10th, which is when River of Dreams came out, which means the album has to be done by this date. But that means the single has to be mixed by this date so it can get to radio by this date. And the artwork needs to be done by this date so it can get proofed and printed. You set the release date and then you kind of backfill all the deadlines that have to happen. And then suddenly you have a deadline of when you have to have your record done by. And this is a good time to think about this when we're talking about River of Dreams because it is the biggest Billy release of recent memory. We remember it. We're the last leg of fans that were there for a new album, that were young for a new album, I should say. I really wish I could remember when I found out the album was coming out. Cannot recall. But you know, now we get to look at this timeline compiled by our great friend Jeff Fisher. We hit up and he's like, oh, I might have something. And it's like, yep. Why don't you just come to the house with a dump truck, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His Oh, hit. it's fantastic. I mean, like we used to like take a day trying to like pull all this shit together. Yeah. You just email Jeff and Jenny and they're like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it's, they, it's astounding. They, they become incredible partners in that way. And they've been so gracious to share so much of their hard work with us, which is amazing. And you know, yeah. we're able to kind of dive through it and put together the narrative and you know, see how everything relates to one another. And what's fun about, especially like doing these years too, the years while, you know, we're alive, 
we can also tie it back to like our personal experience because we are living as a fan, Billy Joel in 1993. Let's do this Greek epic style. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll start with August 10th, River of Dreams is released, and then we'll go backwards and then we'll go forward. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So the album is released in the middle of summer, August 10th, hits the top 40 album charts August 28th. Now this I remember very well because mm-hmm. I'm still mad about it. August 30th, David Letterman does his very first show on CBS. Yes, the late Billy show. Joel is the guest. I am not allowed to stay up to watch it. No. I don't know why. That's what it was. But it would be recorded for me. Remember the VCR timers? timer? Oh, yes. Yeah. All, okay. And when that wouldn't go, oh, what about tragedy? To this day, I think my mom knew it didn't work right because she was too quick on the draw. I scampered, scampered downstairs the next morning to watch it, right? Didn't know who the hell David Letterman was or anything. Didn't even, this is how young I was. I didn't even get the joke when he said, uh, I don't know how the execs over at NBC are feeling about this, but this morning I woke up and there was a head of a peacock in my bed. Oh yeah, I remember that bit. My father laughed his ass off and I had no clue. And I'm like, huh? And he just looked at me and he was like, it is time. And then I think like six months later, he came home with the Godfather. (laughs) And I had no (laughs) idea what was going on because I was in sixth grade. So I watched that and then Billy Joe comes on and he does No Man's Land. And then I fast forward through the commercials and he sits down. And now again, this may be the first Billy Joe interview I've seen personally because I wasn't with it for the Stormfront era. We weren't watching TV. So I'm like, wow, he's going to talk. What's he going to say? I'll never forget, he was saying something, he goes, I was over my friend's house, you know, back when I was a kid. Well, he wasn't really my friend. He had a TV, and the recording cuts right there. And my mom just went, well, I guess the recording didn't work. I'm, I'm just looking at it like, you knew. What did he say? He must have said something. You went back. And then. <laughs> I was so mad. And I've gone back to watch it on YouTube, but like, I don't remember the rest of it because I probably watched the other one five times and like just tried to dream what happened after that, you know? I mean, it was all innocuous. It was nothing controversial said. Oh, sure. Yeah. That was great. Was it, was it fun working here in this theater? It was amazing working here because this is where I saw the Beatles for the first time. Were you actually in the audience when they were No, I was at my friend's house. I didn't have a TV. I had this friend. He wasn't really my friend. He had a TV. <laughs> and I saw the Beatles and I said, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's the reason I'm here now. And that began your musical career or were you already musical no, as a kid? No, I had taken piano lessons yeah. before What that. was the first motivation to get into music for you? Was it just you felt you had a talent or? My mother made me take piano lessons. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the rock and roll part of it was to meet girls. Girls? Yes. Well, you, you've done all right in both categories, haven't you? <laughs> I happen, I happen to think anybody who says, uh, you know, some other reason for going into music is lying. They're lying. <laughs> uh, we, we've alluded to your wife, and uh, tell us about the, the cover of the, the new CD. She painted uh, the cover uh, for the album, and uh, she disappeared uh, for about two weeks upstairs. It was kind of lonely, and uh, said, I'm going to paint the album cover, and I thought, what if I don't like it? Uh, how do I say I don't like it? Mm-hmm. But she brought it down, and, and it was good. So Turned out very nice. <laughs> Maybe she can touch up our desk after the show. She could definitely do a better job. Yeah. Uh, did, were you, were you, were the, the you, Dadaist va- movement here? Were you vacationing with the, the Clintons on Martha's Vineyard? No. Are you sure? I, no, I'm positive. I was, uh, I got a call from a guy I knew who was going to be there. Said, you want to come and jam on Martha's Vineyard with, with Bill Clinton? I said, no. <laughs> Nothing. 
It's nothing, it's, it has nothing to do with politics. It's just I didn't really feel it was going to be a great jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how excited we are to have you as the first musical act of our very first show. And the record is doing great, isn't it? Yeah. Number one the last couple of weeks, and it's only been out uh, about a month or it so, hasn't it? It came out as number one. Go figure. Yeah, yeah good for you. Always a pleasure, Billy. Thank, Thank you. you very much. That was the summer. Basically, the end of the summer was August 10th. The record comes out. Uh, I get a copy of it. I remember very well getting my copy of it, too, that day. I... August 30th, he plays Letterman. August 31st, I overthrow a fit because I don't have the second half of the interview on VHS. <laughs> and a couple of days later, I, we start school. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So having said all that, let's go all the way back to January 13th. The first glimmer of Billy in the year Apropos to one of the songs on the album, we're still talking about the legal battles with Frank Weber. Yep. We have two articles in the Wall Street Journal, one in January and then one actually all the way in March. But we do know that January 20th, he writes the lyrics to All About Soul, uh, sort of still in the middle of this maelstrom. It's worth noting that All About Soul started out as a different song, the motorcycle song. So it sounds mm -hmm. like in January Jericho. is when it, you know, the lyrics started uh, taking shape as uh, the new All About Soul. May 1st, Billy gives the master tapes for the album to Columbia Records. So almost three months ahead of time, you know, they have it in their hands. Yeah. After that, he receives his honorary doctorate from the Berklee College of Music. Yeah. That moment is commemorated, at least in the Boston Globe, from May 9th of 93. And I will really credit Tom Whalen, the writer here, with what I perceive to be a deep reference to the Innocent Man album. The headline is, Hit the High Notes, Billy Joe Tells Grads. I think he knew what he was doing there. I do too. Um, it's a very specific thing to say. So 30 years ago, right? You know, 30 years and a couple months. How about this quote from Billy in the article? Now, I'm sure it must be daunting to consider what future there is in music in these times of financial distress and poor job markets, Joel said. But consider that when you listen to the radio, you hear the canned, frozen, processed flutter being dished to the world as the American kind of music today. For all the millions who buy this stuff, who like this stuff, there are millions more who don't like it, who are looking for something else. It exists a, quote, incredible opportunity for young musicians to influence the way music will be heard in the decades ahead. Wow. Interesting. Joel was self-deprecating. As he is. And admitted that praise of his work oftentimes bothers him more than criticism. I don't really believe uh, that. But about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, quote, yeah. Quote, this has always been puzzling to me when I consider myself to be a mediocre pianist an adequate singer and a competent songwriter. What I do, in my opinion, is by no means extraordinary. I am, as I have said, merely competent, but in the age of incompetence, that makes me extraordinary. Yeah, welcome to middle age, Billy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm a year or two behind you, and I'm feeling it coming on, but right. at least I'm trying to fight it. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like, I can say all these things about me, and it's fine, but when you say it about me, I'm going to rip up your review on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I'll give him at least like you're at Berkeley College of Music. These cats can play. Like, you, oh yeah, you, you no might joke. as well not go in there and pretend you're a, you're a whiz. Not that Billy's not, but you know what I'm saying. Like, that's right. a different. That's a whole different, different breed thing. of cat. I got news for those people. This is a real job. It's as real as a doctor or a teacher or scientist. To be a musician is not something you choose to be. It's something you are like tall, short, straight, or gay. There is no choice. Another interesting thing to say all the way back in ninety three. Pretty progressive. Yeah, well, yeah. As we move into June, Billy has finished the record, obviously. We get uh, our first little preview 
it sounds like by the title, at least from Billboard in June 5th. And it says Billy Joel of Time and the River by Timothy White. If there is an Irving Berlin in rock and roll, his name is Billy Joel. In his 30 odd years in music, William Martin Joel has authored many of the most cherished songs in the canon of American popular music, odes to the hard knocks of self-realization that have few rivals in their flair depicting our age of anxiety. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> you thought the 90s was the age of anxiety. All right. Like his Tin Pan Alley predecessor, Billy Joel is a scion of immigrant stock imbued with the deep unease of an epoch that could make refugees or specters of several generations of his ancestors. Jesus Christ, Ooh. that's heavy. We're so far past um, the discography, and we're seeing where it's landing that Billy is is being put in the in the annals of like the Great American Songbook. I mean, John Jackson really laid out the thesis for New York State of Mind, but I think it's true that Billy is being considered in that way more than uh, many of his contemporaries are legends and will continue to be legends yeah but our legends of rock and roll and this was kind of the the dawn of the adult contemporary format but it's not something that he did on river of dreams you know he didn't know what i don't think he knew what he was doing and i've said before i'll say it again river of dreams is a weird album in that sense it does not fit into category that well right here's a quote in the past i had always written as an onlooker from a journalistic sense and while i was never being detached i also worked in the old days because i had to deliver albums now I've reached a point in my life where I'm not going to write unless I have something to say. And on this album, I did have something to say, which was that he was a, quote, angry, delusioned, bitter person who had lost faith in everything because I lost faith in myself, my ability to form any discerning judgment about what the hell was going on around me. Um, and this was in the wake of the, you know, the Frank Weber lawsuit. Sure. This is an interesting insight. I was writing each song in sequence, and as I did, I was actually living through these feelings, working things out, and coming to grips with what was troubling me. So there it is right there. Like It was mostly written you know, in that sequence, although we do see in the Shades of Grey documentary where he's thinking about the sequence of the songs, but yeah. it seems that they, they, that was sort of there. Yeah. And talking about the, the recording, it says, Hired to supply a thorny thrust to Joel's demon bashing, Korchmar summoned a studio brigade that include legendary mountain guitarist Leslie West, drummer Steve Jordan of Keith Richards' Expensive Winos, and Zachary Alford, plus Mellencamp Springsteen vocalist Crystal Taliaferro. Interesting that she's just referred to as a vocalist here. As opposed to like B Billy Joel band member. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. This exactly. is her second cycle. <laughs> uh, like, but, you know, she was largely known as Mellencamp's, you know, with Mellencamp band, certainly. So I'm not surprised that was mentioned, but that's interesting that there's no real association with Billy there. So clearly by this point, the PR machine is starting for the River of Dreams cycle. Themes, concepts, at the very least, are getting fed to the media to start generating some hype and some articles. Billy's starting to do some interviews. It's likely around this point where they're starting to get probably some cassette tapes with a couple songs to just kind of get a taste of what's coming. They may even be unmastered at this point. Usually probably around this point is when at least some journalists are starting to hear some music. There's an article mentioning him in New York Times again, and we've got an, a Rolling Stone feature coming out uh, that week as well on June 10th after the storm. We're moving through June, and this is really fascinating. We actually have some audio of this here, which uh, Jeff sent our way, and it's a boot that has been floating around for a while. It's actually up on YouTube. Back on June 18th of 93, uh, Columbia Records was doing either some sort of convention conference 
something along those lines at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. And as would often happen with these conferences, um, you know, the artist roster would play or, you know, some of the artists, and especially if there was a new album or a new product. So it might have been like a sales conference or who knows. But Billy was there. And again, this is before rehearsals for the tour. The album is obviously done. So this is kind of a weird little one-off where basically they're getting together and rehearsing a handful of songs that they're performing for this Columbia staff meeting or convention. What has been out there, it's all uh, like soundboard. They do No Man's Land, Lullaby, River of Dreams, Miami 2017, and then I Go to Extremes. So interesting choice of a mini set there. But yeah, this audio has 40 minutes or so of them rehearsing through the songs. So you have three different takes of River of Dreams, a couple of No Man's Lands, and then it's got the performance for the crowd. Billy is talking about the new album and how he's already turned it in. And so he's certainly talking to the Columbia staff here. Thank you. Good evening. Welcome. This year marks my 20th year on Columbia, Columbia Records. And tapes. You got 16 tons, what do you get? Anyway, um, uh, we handed in our album and uh, we're ready for you guys to go do the thing with the album. And We haven't rehearsed for a tour yet. We're starting rehearsals in August, so we kind of threw this together for this evening. So, uh... So some of this might suck, uh, but uh, hey, anyway, this is uh, one of the songs, uh, that was a song called No Man's Land, which starts the album off, and then um, there's a lot of pissed off songs, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but it gets better, the guy goes through a lot of, you know, pissed off and grief and stuff, and then he, he, he gets better, and this is the um, part of the album where the guy's starting to feel better about things. Anyway, this is, um, this is a song called Lullaby, and on the album, after this song, it sequences into uh, another song, which will be the single called The River of Dreams. Anyway, and here we go. It's our first time trying this song live. Okay, here we go. So, uh, so it's a fun little window into the uh, inner workings of the industry. And when you think of the artists, you know, like Billy, you think, oh yeah, they do an album, they tour. But, you know, they also do these little little promotional things for the record company that a lot of times most of us don't ever know about. And that's where Phil first saw Billy was at an industry event, wasn't at a concert or anything like that. Exactly. Networking happens on the bigger industry events. And, you know, you know, sometimes other people connected with the record company will come in and see the new artists. And, you know, that's kind of how the Phil and Billy thing started, like you said. But here, Billy is uh, talking up the brand new record. And uh, it's interesting to hear him talk about it uh, before it's out. July 1st of 93, he does a masterclass in London. The masterclasses seem to be things that he does in off years. I can't remember what year it was. And uh, I mercifully cut out the 15 minutes. I think Michael and I just spent pouring through old notes and episodes to try to figure out when it was. But we know there was at least one year where it felt like it was time for him to go out on tour or do something and he wasn't doing it. And there was a spate of masterclasses, which seemed to sort of take that place, like just something to keep him, you know, in the public eye somehow. 
And it's also in the Shades of Grey documentary. So we know he was doing them before River of Dreams because that was a lead up to it. And he was doing them after River of Dreams. But it's notable that he does get one in in 93. Yeah. And I know there's audio floating out there of this masterclass too. And I think this is where the uh, him playing a second of my journey's end, one of the times that pops up. I'll have to go back and listen to it because I know I've heard this, but it's been a very long time. Yeah. He plays uh, Lullaby. We get some New York State of Mind, Piano Man. And famous last words. So we've talked about the retconning of famous last words <laughs> where he's like, oh yeah, I always knew this was it. Um, when yeah. obviously years later, you know, in the years to follow, he was talking about the next record. I'm curious in mid 93, how he's framing famous last words, like where his head's at yeah. about it then, you know? This is a song that's uh, on a new album. It's a, Kind of a good way to wrap things up. Sitting here in Avalon, looking at the pouring rain. Summertime is coming and gone, and everybody's home again. Closing down for the season, I found the last of the souvenirs. I can still taste the wedding cake, and it's sweet after all these years. These are the last words I have to say. That's why this took so long to write. There will be other words some other day. A little later in the month, he's on Hitline Radio USA yeah. uh, in an interview, and it looks like uh, we get some snippets of River of Dreams and No Man's Land, yes. along with Tell Her About It, Piano Man, and We Didn't Start the Fire. Coming after that, we have Billy also in July on Entertainment Tonight, and I actually saw this. I think I have it recorded somewhere. I don't know if I still have the VHS tape, but I recorded it possibly on the same tape where I recorded the Letterman performance, because I, I got to stay up for it. <laughs> and Folks, now you get the fingers. Now, now it's my turn to be flipped off on Zoom. <laughs> well played. Well deserved. Yeah, thank, you. thank you, sir. Yeah. Yep. Now send um, me that tape. No. <laughs> yeah. So I, I clearly remember it was John Tesh, I think, doing the segment and talking about the album. They played a bit of the video. Was Christy on this as well? I don't remember specifically about that. I particularly remember after this, as the segment wound down, John Tesh talking about the album coming out August the 10th. So this may have been where I knew, learned about the release date, funny enough, because I wasn't 13 years old and reading Billboard and New York Times. We had entertainment tonight on at 730. Yeah, man. We, we heard everything either when your mom was making dinner yeah. or everybody was cleaning up afterwards. You had a little TV, a little black and white or something yeah. in the kitchen. In the kitchen counter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The kitchen yeah. counter TV. With the antenna. Oh, 100%. Radio. We would watch Entertainment Tonight all the time back then. That was like always something really? that was just on. That was like part of that late evening things before primetime. And I very clearly remember this segment, funny enough. Because I remember too, they had like a black and white rendering of a photo of him from like the Stormfront era. You know how they would, when they were talking, they would have like a picture, like like news, news would have back then, a picture framed off to the side of whatever they were talking about. And then, yeah, shortly after, July 19th is when the River of Dreams single, which was backed with No Man's Land, was released. I absolutely remember buying this single. 
I remember this so clearly. It was summertime at the mall because that's where we went. I went to the 12 Oaks Mall in Novi, Michigan. And the name of the store, now, how, how's this date, data music store? It was called Tape World. Did you have the wall? No, we did not have the wall. The two malls around us were pretty big. We had three different stores in the mall. We had Tape World, Record mm-hmm. Town, and Music Land, which was the same as Sam Goody. You guys probably had Sam Goody. Did you have like a eight-track Shantytown too? Like- <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. But the big chain, the big local chain, which there was some in a couple malls, but not my mall, we had Harmony House, which was the big Detroit chain. But I remember going in and the price on the singles was $349. I've got that price point embedded in my brain. Because that <laughs> that's something that, you know, 13-year-old Michael could afford. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Dude, that was like an hour of work at McDonald's, right? What was the minimum wage back then? $375? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, my first job was McDonald's in 1995 when I was 15. Oh, I, you too? That yeah. was my first job. Was it? Yeah. I think I made like five bucks an hour in 95. So it was, yeah, that was about what it was. Going out to the mall, finally seeing the single, buying it. I don't know if I bought the cassette, cassette or the CD first. I don't remember which I bought first, but by soon enough, I had them both. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't realize the single was released. I wasn't going to music. Well, I was going to music stores a little, or I knew and I just waited out the, the next three weeks for the album because you heard it on the radio already. I think my friend Jeff, who I talked about in the Liberty episode, yeah, that learned to play piano, I think he taped it. I got to hear it that way or he sure. caught it and told me to you remember calling your friends and telling them to turn on the radio real quick oh totally oh dude turn on z-rock or turn on yeah whatever they're playing the new you know whatever <laughs> oh and if you were lucky to get to it in time with a clean cassette ready to go oh you got a copy of it now yeah or you had it but the dj just talked, talked over all it over the whole it. damn time yeah <laughs> <laughs> the single's out july 19th and 13, almost 14-year-old me is super excited for a new Billy Joel thing. And again, no social media, no nothing. Little did I know that the band had largely changed again uh, because the singles didn't have the credits usually. River of Dreams is largely built around a drum loop. That's mostly what you're hearing. Yeah, the 19th, fast forward to August 10th, when the album is finally out into the world. And that was a huge, huge deal. I mean, it... uh. It was the number one album for Billy. It was huge out of the gate. Stayed there for three weeks and 35 weeks total on the charts which in America, which is pretty amazing back then. For an album that people only know two songs from, it was inescapable. The two meaning The River of Dreams and All About Soul. I think now people know River of Dreams and Lullaby. And even though All About Soul was released as a single, I would venture to say Lullaby, people knew that one more because people knew the story behind it. Oh, see, like where I am... It was all about soul and river. Really? Those were the two. Yeah. Those are the only two that ever got any radio play, any, anything from the record. I don't remember hearing all about soul necessarily on the radio. I don't know that I was listening to the radio that much, but I think people just knew lullaby more than they knew all about soul. But I mean, look, we're talking about me knowing either kids (laughs) in elementary school or my parents' friends. Right. right, right. I'm saying like I'm missing a a very important cohort in in musical fandom here. (laughs) Yeah. River of Dreams, that song, we're just talking Billboard 100, uh, topped out at number three. All About Soul was number 29. Lullaby was number 77. And then the other single was uh, No Man's Land, which did not chart in America. But, you know, it's funny. You contrast that with the large majority of people only knowing a couple songs from a record that huge record. River of Dreams is currently sitting at about 5 million in the U.S. in sales. 
Now contrast that with Stormfront, which also debuted at number one, topped out so far at about four million. So a little less, still great. But Stormfront had huge singles comparatively. I mean, it, you know, River of Dreams was a huge single, but Stormfront, on the other hand, you're talking about we didn't start the fire. I go to extremes, Don Easter Alexa, Shameless, which didn't really chart in America, but I go to extremes and we didn't start the fire were certainly the biggest one followed by and so it goes. It felt like River of Dreams didn't go as deep as Stormfront went as far as singles go for some reason. It just felt like the the life of it was a little less. I just remember everybody having a copy of it. I didn't know enough people. You didn't go to enough houses when I was that young in third you know, third yeah. or fourth grade or whatever to figure out what people had. Yeah, yeah. You know. But by seventh grade you and your friends would get cassettes and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, the record was huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were going to say Stormfront sold more. No, River of Dreams did sell more, even though Stormfront seemed to have a longer like life of them putting out singles. Singles were going out through right. into 91, when River of Dreams, by 94, it was done yeah. as far as you know promoting it. But yeah, August 10th was a big day, big, big day. And that's when we're starting to get a lot more press. Good Morning America. And this is also now Billy and the band are holed up in uh, East Hampton at the East Hampton airport, actually, where they're doing rehearsals for the River of Dreams tour. And if you look on Billy's YouTube channel, there's an EPK for the River of Dreams album, which has uh, a good amount of footage from Shades of Grey, but it also has some footage from rehearsals, which is interesting. And they actually, you could see Billy and I think Steve Cohen going through the stage design. They've got like a 3D model of the stage which I think is really cool. I wonder if Steve ever kept those. Yeah, all that stuff somewhere, I guess. It's in one of the Billy Joel warehouses somewhere on the island. Yeah, S. John. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> He's like, well, the drum riser is here and the um, and the lighting rig is in this warehouse. <laughs> it's like it's all yeah, scattered. Yeah, the third around. light bulb is uh, somewhere in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all through August, you just have this slew of um, articles sailing on a river of dreams. In Philadelphia Daily News, August 13th, Entertainment Weekly, River Dreams Review in Rolling Stone, Billy Joel Crests in Philadelphia Daily News, something in the San Diego Union Tribune. Billy finally gave them something to where they stopped using Piano Man in the article title. Yeah. We cap out the month, August 30th, David Letterman does No Man's Land. Bill Murray and Billy Joel as the two guests. That's right. Oh, yeah. What did Bill Murray do? He did something crazy. He ran spray out painted and... Dave's new desk. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and i remember letterman made a joke that because they're talking about christy painting the cover for the album and mm -hmm. dave's like well maybe we can have her come out and touch up the desk and billy's like i think he, she could do a better job <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh, a couple of weeks later here we go september 10th river of dreams tour opening night at the cumberland county civic center in portland maine we have the list of shows it's from setlist fm i'm a little skeptical of everything exactly because it looks like he played three nights at the Spectrum in Philly, then eight nights at Madison Square Garden, but there are no set lists for four of those nights, which Hang makes on. me wonder. I've got a shirt that has all the dates. Oh, Actually, shoot. There you I'm go. wearing it right now. Oh, you are. Look yeah. at you. You show off. You put you back to me. Let me see. Are you taking the shirt off? Oh, yeah, you sexy bastard. You you unwieldy beast. That's right. You're lucky, you're lucky everybody can't say, oh, hey, ooh, screenshot, screenshot. <laughs> Our Patreon subscribers can see the sexy dance Michael's doing for me right now That's as right. he takes off his Billy Joel shirt. And then he's going to read the tour dates ASMR style. March 14th, Cumberland County, Maine. Opened 
Can you hear me right now? Oh yeah, I can. Are hear you me. just ignoring me? Yeah. You gonna you gonna hear this when you fix the audio later? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you said, but it was good. Yes, I can hear you, and yes, I'm ignoring you. Oh, uh, you better good. not have the set list on your boxes short, you deviant. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Here we go. There was actually. I just want to point out because I don't know how much of that goes in. Michael has the tour shirt on. He turned the shirt around, took a picture of it, and is now going to read the tour dates off the picture oh, right. on his phone of his shirt. For all we we're talking about, what life was like in 1993. <laughs> right. That's 2023. Hold on. Let me take a picture of the shirt I have on on my phone. Right. So I can yeah. tell the guy across the country on a video call. Oh, yeah. What totally. it says. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Here we go. We've got uh, October 2nd, 4th, 5th, 8th, 9th, and 11th. Okay. So the 12th is bullshit. Yep. 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 11. If okay. it's not bullshit, then... Uh, Billy's people have the uh, the numbers of the garden shows all wrong. <laughs> Somebody I'm, got fired. I'm, I'm willing to bet that this is correct. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take a printed shirt from 1993 over an open source website in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I got the picture. Yep. All right, look at that. Hey. Two, four, oh, you five, wanted a eight, picture nine. of the shirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Whew, okay, collect myself. Ha. All right. So so let's get into the tour dates now. He's on tour the rest of the year, which three months, but I mean, he's in it to win it. The first set list, and then I'll read a couple here and there, but they're mostly the same for the whole year. The big difference to give it away is that he occasionally starts with No Man's Land, but most of the time this year, No Man's Land is second and Matter of Trust is first. Interesting. Uh, We're going to say that's like sort of the last shot at like frank weber somehow like just a matter of trust oh you know that's like he's capping it all for himself it kind of has a new meaning now uh so it's a matter of trust no man's land pressure goodnight saigon allentown new york state of mind all about soul an innocent man my life i go to extremes prelude angry young man down easter alexa shameless shades of gray big man on mulberry street Lullaby in the River of Dreams, so keeping the album sequence. And then we get into it now. Yeah, and I remember I kind of remember this happening, although it was early the next year when I saw him. Scenes from an Italian restaurant, only the good die young, you may be right. We didn't start the fire, big shot, and piano man. Now the second night, the the September 14th in Boston, yep. we get My Lives, we get an innocent man. Oh, the encore includes two thousand years. I don't think we see anything else really coming in until yeah, we get the occasional Miami. Yeah, a couple of Miamis here and there. We got a Captain Jack at the Spectrum. Uh, of course. At least two Captain Jacks. So yeah, Captain Jack every night at the Spectrum. There's an all shook up in Boston. Yeah, he does three nights in Boston too. At least one of the shows was filmed because there's footage of it in the Shades of Grey documentary. We got a couple of snippets of covers. We get a little all shook up. We get a little purple haze. Don Easter Alexa comes up here and there. I remember he did that at the beginning of the year, but that was Nassau Coliseum, so he's going to do it there. Down Easter Alexa picks up steam later on. Yeah. It was back to the spectrum after the garden, and then he's in Maryland for two nights. I find this curious. It's a really a hodgepodge in a way. This is Setless FM again, but October 18th and 19th in Maryland. Then yep. he goes up to Connecticut, which makes sense because he does the 22nd of October in 
Connecticut. Then the 23rd is Saturday Night Live. So it's a hop, skip, and a jump back to Manhattan. Yep. Then back to Connecticut. So they probably don't even tear down the stage for the second. Yeah. Then he's back in Maryland on November 4th. And then back up in Massachusetts on the 6th. Yeah. And then he's out at Syracuse, Rosemont, uh, Ohio. And then he goes all the way out. All the way out west. Yeah. Yeah, all the way out west for three shows, uh, November 29th in Portland, December 1st in Seattle, and December 3rd in uh, Vancouver, Canada. And we in Detroit got him in January and March of 94. So he just graced the Midwest on his way to the Northwest. Um, but then he did a much bigger run um, in the Midwest you know, early the following year. Again, with the River of Dream Cycle, we have a new lineup in a way. Liberty sticks around. Crystal sticks around. Tommy Burns, who joined midway through the Stormfront tour, he's back. Skylar Deal does not return, and neither does David Brown or Jeff Jacobs. This tour, we've got Liberty DeVito on drums, main guitarist, and Tommy Burns. So he kind of fills the lead guitar role. Mark Rivera is still there playing saxophone, but you'll notice on this tour, Mark is actually playing quite a bit of guitar. And Crystal Taliaferro is on percussion. The new member this time around is T-Bone Wolk on bass guitar. And you'll know T-Bone from the mini years in the Daryl Hall and John Oates band and the Saturday Night Live band, which is primarily growing up where I knew him from. While the tour is happening, the promotion train is still in full effect. So, you know, we're getting now a mix of album reviews and, you know, tour reviews, things like that. A couple articles from the Boston Globe. And that makes sense because, uh, he played quite a bit up that way. There's a Star Tracks article from People Magazine. In the fall, there's a couple of TV things. Piano Man special, which is in the fall of 93 on ETV, if you remember that network. They're the ones that aired the Howard Stern show, if I remember correctly. Billy is on Dateline. This was before Dateline was all murder mystery stuff. Um, so they did a <laughs> lot of uh, like more news and pop culture stuff back in the day. So Billy is on Dateline. And if actually, I remember this specifically watching this one as well, because there is Billy in the studio doing vocal overdubs for Shades of Grey. I'm not going to make believe I'm a teenager. I'm going to write about what I know. I'm going to throw in another harmony. It's been four years since his last album, Stormfront, soared to the top of the chart. But Billy Joel is back. Back in the studio. Back at the microphone. Back with a new album. This song is the title track from River of Dreams, his 12th new album in 22 years. If I'm not mistaken, Billy has the dyed hair and no beard, so he looks more like Stormfront era Billy. Boston Globe again, talking about the Boston shows. Billy Joel salutes Philadelphia. It's all your fault. <laughs> the Philadelphia Inquirer. What a great headline. <laughs> Another Philly Inquirer show. Billy is in top form. There's an article in September 30th, a Rolling Stone article. Billy at the Garden. Joel concerts top 1 million. There's a PBS Charlie Rose interview in 93, October 7th. So yeah, a lot of press going on leading up to single number two, which was October 11th, which was all about soul, the remix. Jack, you and I talked about this track a bit. The remix, it's the same tempo, but just a little bit of a change and adding a tambourine makes it feel faster. Yeah, it's just got a wider stereo range. And yeah. 
probably the one of the most interesting things about this single is the unreleased B-side, which was You Picked a Real Bad Time, which was one of the tracks from Shelter Island that didn't get carried over to the album. And one of the few non-album B-sides in Billy's catalog. Of original music. October 13th, PBS in the spotlight, Billy Joel Shades of Grey. So the uh, documentary that we've actually watched a few months ago for Watch Party started out on PBS and it was the making of River of Dreams and it got turned into Shades of Grey, which was released on VHS and Laserdisc in October of 93. And that has some great footage you know, throughout the process and interviews from Billy, Christy, Danny Korchbar, and even Liberty and Phil Ramone. And it's got, you know, caps off, off with some live footage from early on in the tour in Boston. All the while, uh, we get more articles, we get more TV appearances. Probably the biggest one is October 23rd, Saturday Night Live. This will be his fourth and final performance. He was on it in 1978 for The Stranger. He was on it in 1981 for Songs in the Attic. He was on it in 1989 for Stormfront. And again, here in 93 for River of Dreams. And if I remember correctly, the host for this episode was John Malkovich. I don't know if it's still out there, but I remember seeing the sound check for it on uh, YouTube. Yeah, because the sound check is like 10 times longer than the performance. <laughs> but hey, man, this is a formula that works because by December 3rd, uh, the album River of Dreams is certified three times platinum. So in less than four months, he sells 3 million copies of this album. And to give you an example, in October, October 13th, they certified it two times platinum. It was moving fast. And that continues through December. He's off tour for the most part. He does a few, I guess, uh, Setlist FM, you know, did me a little dirty there. But according to Jeff Fisher, who I'll trust more than Setlist FM, oh, where's your shirt? Oh, I sent it to you. The whole thing? That's all the River of Dreams dates. Okay, yeah. So he does. Yeah, he goes into, he does, I'm sorry, he does go a little further into December. December 9th, San Diego Sports Arena in San Diego. December 15th, Delta Center in Salt Lake City. December 29th, Nassau Coliseum, Uniondale. And, you know, New Year's Eve at Nassau Coliseum. We also get a couple more articles. Los Angeles Times, Salt Lake Tribune, People Magazine, and Rolling Stone on the 23rd of December. So there you have it, 1993 in the life and times of Billy Joel. It was fun going through this and passing by our moments of discovering the record and all the things happening. And it's fun talking about eras of Billy that you were old enough to remember, meaning like you were old enough to be cognizant of a lot of what was going on. I was a fan of Billy Joel when An Innocent Man came out, but I couldn't tell you about all the promotional efforts surrounding it that I remember singles as they were out. But as we were into our teenage years, you know, it was exciting to hear about all of this and to track it and find out what was going on and go out and buy the record. You know, little did we all know at this time, but this was going to be the last pop rock record of Billy's career to this point. And we just celebrated 30 years of River of Dreams. So this 1993 is 30 years ago. And it's amazing looking back on it on how how different a lot of things are and especially with how the promotional <laughs> aspect of a recording artist has changed you know it was fun and I, I guess i'll leave it at this is that maybe you liked the music coming out maybe you didn't everybody knew what it was your parents knew who nirvana was even if they were like what is that noise you could have that conversation it was everything was yeah. happening at the same time everything was happening to everyone at the same time. The popular music 
whether it be Billy Joel or Don Henley or Nirvana or Metallica, like everyone knew them and they crossed generations. I I feel like you don't have that as much anymore where so-and-so is the new thing and the community that maybe likes them, but a large swath of people have no idea who you're talking about. The rock stations weren't just classic rock yet. You know what I mean? Like they were still playing what was coming out. So you still have that crossover where your dad wants to hear Zeppelin. He's going to have to sit through Pearl Jam. And because, you know, they would be on the late show and if somebody did something crazy, it would be in the papers the next day. If there's any any way things are worse now than then, I think that's it. I, I think that things are so segmented where I, I feel bad for the artists who maybe could appeal to a broad audience, but it just rarely seems to happen anymore. Taylor Swift is one of the exceptions to the rule. You know, when I see her fan base, it's like Michael Jackson when Thriller came out. You know, she's got that type of audience and that type of like worldwide recognition, but that is an edge case. Yeah. I mean, you know, we say unfortunately, but it's such a new phenomenon. It's not, I mean, we all grew up with it. Our grandparents grew up with it. For some of you, your great grandparents grew up with it, but that's about it. I mean, before the phonograph and the radio, very few artists were known outside their their yeah. area, right? I mean, some musicologists, I'm sure, will, will explain otherwise. The way music was exposed and passed around was sheet music. I was about to say, yeah, the music might get out there, but the actual performers didn't. No, the art of the recording. Right. The grand scheme of this world is a pretty new thing. Well, yeah, because you had sheet music, like, so people would buy the sheet music and play it in their house themselves. Right. But I'm saying, like, the actual performers, you know, wasn't the thing. Right. That's headed to get down. (laughs) It's an interesting time to look when we're 30 years out from... We're recording this December 6th of 2023. This is going to come out next year. As Billy Joe's last album uh, is going three times platinum 30 years ago, almost to the day, Michael and I are 3,000 miles apart, looking at each other in real time with better image quality than we had on television when this album came out. And ironically, we're both buying... The latest Billy Joel release on record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which we weren't in 1993. That's the thing. Yeah, right? That, yeah. That's another interesting thing, which you know I don't think we really touched on, is like the vinyl format was an all-but-dead format then. River of Dreams, when it came out, never came out on vinyl in America then. It came out in Holland and a few countries in Europe. I think maybe Korea had a run of it. But in America, it was strictly CD, cassette, and mini disc was the format that Sony was trying to get off the ground. I, I've listened to the River of Dreams and Stormfront records from the new box set more than that's the only ones I've really listened to. I haven't broken out glass houses yet. Well, I take that back. I listened to Live from Long Island a bunch. I'll tell you what, River of Dreams like Stormfront, hits real differently when it's split on two sides. You don't get that feeling of like some weird mung happening in the middle. Like side one is pretty tight. Side two feels good because it's all about soul, lullaby, river dreams. You get off minor variation, you get into all about soul. You have that break. It feels better that way. And we never got that. When we got it, we just we just listened to it all the way down. Even if you had it on cassette, you didn't have that feel. No, it, it was different then too. But that's our recollection, at least. It's getting pretty late here. Our memories may be hazy. Now it's up to you. What do you remember about 1993? What album was this for you of Billy's? Was this your first, your second? Were you, uh, you know, old hat by now? Yeah. And what was your perception of it relative to your years of Billy Joel fandom? We're not old man yells at cloud kind of people here. So how do you perceive music now coming out versus music then? We're not going to get into quality or the bands or anything else, but like 
give some thought to that. See if you come up with anything. I don't know. I'm leaving it open-ended there. Yeah, so email us at glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. We're also all over the socials, Facebook, X, Instagram, Discord. We've got a great Discord server. Jack, you want to tell us a little bit about that? The Discord is pretty fun. We started it just about a year ago. It's really turned into a community where we're familiar with a whole bunch of people on there. It's fun to talk with other fans in real time uh, at your leisure, <laughs> you know, in, in that way. And it is, in that sense, a really great extension of the podcast because, uh, yeah, it's just all happening in real time. Uh, all right, I'll make one more allusion to the 90s. You know, the 90s was the first time uh, some TV shows could start incorporating fan comments because, like, by the late 90s, people had forums where they were talking about stuff. And yeah. In a way, you know, because we have a much shorter production time than, let's say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not that we do too much like that, but, you know, occasionally things we talk about in the Discord or something like that will, will make its way into a, an episode a couple weeks later. Certainly our watch parties drive a bit of it. Uh, every month we all get together online. We watch a different piece of video media, be it a concert, documentary, an interview. We get some good questions like, hey, what was Billy doing this? Hey, does anybody know when, when he did these college dates? We recently had the argument about Don't Ask Me Why where I was the plaintiff and I was like, don't ask me why sucks. And the defense mounted a fantastic argument. Again, you know, back in the nineties, you kind of watch this stuff with your friends. Usually Uh, now we're all just sitting on our phones, watching this stuff on YouTube. So, Hey man, we're still watching it on our screen in our houses, but at least we're talking with each other. We'll get on voice afterwards. We'll have a nice chat. Uh, You you may have to draw me out. Uh, I'm not the as active as some (laughs) other people here, but I do hop on when I can. So, uh, you know, don't antagonize me too much, but antagonize me a little. and You'll learn the balance uh, to strike yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a great group of people, man. And we, you know, we have a blast and it's given a nice additional layer to what we do here at the podcast because, you know, we're just two guys on Zoom talking into microphones and just kind of lives here with us until they get released. And then... Uh, you know, we found the great community of listeners uh, who like to talk about Billy and what we do and all everything else that Jack mentioned. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a blast to add that additional community uh, to this podcast. But for now, it's uh, nearing 1 a.m. <laughs> all right. I will see you all next time. Yeah, we'll see you everyone soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.